What's going on, guys? We've got so much exciting things going on this week. Um, almost not going to be enough time to even talk to you guys about it. So uh, we've got the dojo finally here in Oklahoma. Uh, we've been getting uh, – we really wanted to get it for two big reasons. Uh, number one, we want to have a chance to bring in coaches, great coaches from across the country into Oklahoma uh, and talk football with them. Get them up on a whiteboard, uh, get their uh, film up on the, on the screen, record all of it, uh, and put it in RTP Premium. Uh, a way for us to cheat and get some unbelievable coaches to come in uh, and a way to help you guys out that are on premium, give you another great show. So we're really excited about that. The other reason we got the dojo uh, here in Oklahoma uh, is because we've received between me and Coach Walls uh, a lot of coaches or staffs uh, messaging us about wanting us to come out and and help them, help their program. Uh, and by the time you fly me and, and Coach Walls out there and, and all that, it ends up costing a bunch of money. And so uh, it was kind of a barrier for a lot of coaches. So now we've got the place in Oklahoma. Walls will drive down, and, and uh, if there's a coaching staff or um, uh, a few coaches that, that are looking into that, uh, we've just cut that price down by a ton just by letting you guys come to us uh, and, and us having a whole place for you for a weekend or three or four days in the summer, uh, however you want to do that. But we're really, really excited to be able to help out in both those ways. We're excited to have our own spot. Uh, it's going to be uh, a blast. Uh, can't can't undersell it enough, I don't think. I'm, we're really, really happy. So excited about that. We're also excited, obviously, about the RTP20 Summit. It is this week. Starting Monday through Friday, this Monday through Friday um, at 6 p.m. Central, we'll have two coaches every day. You watch it live at 6 p.m. Central every day, it's absolutely free. Um, if you miss them or you want to re-watch any of those presentations by those coaches, uh, premium members get that for $50, and until the summit's over, everyone else can get that for $75. So if you're not a premium member, I would say sign up for it, cancel it the next day, uh, use the code from uh, the, the premium membership, uh, to get the summit for 50 bucks. Then after you cancel premium, um, you end up getting a discount right there. So, uh, But however you guys want to do it, that is available. But again, watch it live, and it's absolutely free, and you can chat with uh, other coaches watching. You can find that at runthepower.com. Coaches, if you want to come on and talk some ball, uh, get up on the whiteboard for the dojo, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter or, or on our uh, email, coach at runthepower.com. Or if coaches, you, you want us to kind of help you out with what you're doing, installing your new offense, new OC, uh, some new offensive line coaches, you can also hit us up on Twitter, see if we can get you down here to Oklahoma as well. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Guardian Caps. Do you have linemen? Are their helmets getting scuffed up during inside run period? If so, there's a way to protect those shells and reduce the repetitive blows your guys are taking during the week. Guardian Caps reduces 20 to 33% of the impact, really focusing on those big guys in the trenches, like we coach. Worn by Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, Washington, Virginia, 150 other colleges, and over 1,500 high schools across the country, including mine at Broken Arrow and Coach Walls in Ankeny. They are currently running an early bird promo. It's an unbelievable uh price for them right now 40 caps for two thousand dollars with 10 of them for free plus 10 free they get 10 free ones as well check them out in our free show uh, in our show notes or go to guardiansports.com slash football this episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our guys over at just play the team at just play hooked us up with their product as you guys know uh, and it's been a game changer for us if you've seen us on twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all we obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, 
uh, and formations so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get My Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. On today's episode of RTP, we talk with Jerry Gordon. Coach Gordon is the DC at Nossett High School in Eastham, Massachusetts. And I'm sorry if I screwed all those up, but I'm from Oklahoma. Listen as we talk with Coach Gordon about his long and varied coaching experiences and a journey into defensive fronts, fits, and the run game the heartbeat and core of the game of football. You can follow Coach Gordon on Twitter at JerryGordonFB, and he'll be speaking at the Nike Coach of the Year Clinic in Connecticut, February 27th and 28th. Hope you guys enjoy. You know, kind of how we always start this thing, Coach, is yeah. go and let you introduce yourself and, and kind of give us your – or kind of give everyone your, your football background from uh, playing days to coaching and, and kind of how that brought you to where you are now. Okay, well, you know, I'm kind of old, so it, it's going <laughs> to – I have quite a few places, you know. I, Perfect. Uh, <laughs> well, I um, – it's interesting. I, I started all the way back in high school. I, I wasn't really a football player. I only played football because – my friends invited me to, and you talk about peer pressure. I had a lot of my friends, I just kind of hung around with that crowd that, that played football. So I played four years of uh, football in high school. I never was really, I didn't think very good. I only started my senior year. Uh, I went to the University of Massachusetts, and uh, I, uh, my friend Jimmy said, hey, they're having spring football tryouts. There was really no such thing as a preferred walk-on, nor was I recruited. But they had open tryouts there, and I went down, and my buddy said, hey, look, even if you don't uh, make the team, you get to play football. Uh, spring football then was uh, three weeks long, and uh, we practiced every day. And uh, I was an offensive lineman, and, and I made the team. And uh, I was really fortunate. You know, they had cuts. I made it. My friend Jimmy didn't. And, uh, and uh, I got to uh, play four years of uh, football at the University of Massachusetts. I was uh, elected a uh, captain my uh, junior and senior year, and I was able to earn a, a full scholarship. So, you know, that was uh, really cool. Uh, my father really liked that a lot since he was going to probably be good. And uh, we, we, we ran an offensive. You know, I know uh, you guys are Nebraska fans out there. I, I really like Nebraska. And we, we ran a similar offense to them as them. And we, we played 5-2 uh, in equal defense. I was, uh, like I said, I was an offensive lineman. And I, uh, my last four games, I, I got to move over and play some defense. They, they actually moved me my senior year. And I loved it. It, it, it was great. So th- I graduated in January of 83. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but the USFL had just started that year. And uh, they were drafting uh, kids from New England, uh, the Boston Breakers. In fact, Nebraska, we had a bunch of kids on the team uh, from Nebraska as well. And uh, I, I went to uh, the coach and, you know, some of the kids on our team were, were, were signing contracts with them. And I told them I wanted to 
do something like that. And he kindly, gently told me that, well, coaching might be more for me than playing. (laughs) 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 I ought to to go the the coaching route, you know, and uh, I I, I took his advice and he was able to uh, get me an interview to be like a GA there. Um, They were just starting the team and they were staying in a hotel. And uh, I was able to get an interview. I got uh, interviewed with uh, Coach Dick Corey. And, uh, you know, my mom bought me a, a nice jacket and a tie. And I went there and interviewed. And Coach Corey said, well, Jerry, you know, if you got the job, when can you start? I said, Coach, I'll, I'll start right now. He says, well, you're hired. <laughs> so they, uh, he brought me uh, into the next room where, where the defensive coaches were uh, talking. And that I was the new assistant, you know, GA type guy. It wasn't GAs then, but uh, uh, Doug Kay, who was a defensive coordinator, gave me a $5 bill and sent me across the street for coffee. So uh, we have Dunkin' Donuts here. So that was, that was my very first act uh, as a coach was to go get the, the uh, defensive coordinator uh, coffee. So uh, I went back and gave me a $5 bill, brought back four coffees, and I got to keep the change. So I, I was already up in life. I was a volunteer, so I, I was at the <laughs> Did he go? Uh, did he go black coffee, Coach? No, no, cream. And oh, come on! <laughs> up around here, you call it regular. <laughs> two, two, uh, a cream and two sugars. That that that's regular. So, uh, was it Dunkin' Donuts? Of course, it was Dunkin' Donuts. Better believe it was. <laughs> and um, they had this big, thick playbook. They gave me one of those green uh, templates, and I had a drawer in all the defenses. It, 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 it was pretty cool. And uh, it, it was a great I, – I, so I, I spent that year with the Boston Breakers. It, it, it was a great experience. I, I have hundreds of stories from them. But I'll tell you, you know, Coach Corey and the staff there were just great. I, I had such, such a great opportunity. Um, so, you know, the USFL was spring football. And uh, I said to him, hey, Coach, how, how about if I go BGA someplace and I come back to you in the, fall, in the springtime again? And he thought that was a terrific idea. I get three seasons of football in, in basically a year. Uh, my, my mother didn't think that was a great idea, but you know, of course, she didn't understand. And uh, so, funny story, guys. Um, he said, "Well, Jerry, where would you like to coach?" You know, I told you I was in Nebraska. I said, "Coach, I'd, I'd like to coach Nebraska." He said, "Oh, come on, Jerry. You know, I'm a West Coast guy. You know, give me a team out there." So, well, how about USC? And uh, he said, "Genie." Get me John and, and Jeannie called up and uh, of course back then there was no things went like that. The phone was busy. So he took a he took a uh, card out of his pocket and he said, Jeannie, call this number. He uh, talked, said something for a few minutes, and next thing you know, I was a, a GA at Arizona State with uh, Daryl Rogers as the head coach there. Uh, Al Luganville was the uh, defensive coordinator and uh, there was a guy on the staff there, uh, Mike Martz, who was just, a, he was a quarterback coach at that time. And uh, they, uh, it, it was, that was another really good experience. I only got to spend a little bit of time with them because uh, they had just changed the rules where you had to be in grad school to be a GA. And I didn't know that. I, I, never, I didn't take any of the tests. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't even apply to the school there. And so I, I had to get sent home, but not without experiencing. I don't know if you ever heard of Cush Mountain up there. 
where you know uh, Frank Cush was the previous coach. He used to make, he used to make uh, the kids run to the top of the mountain and get the uh, like the ace of spades out of a deck of card, cards and come back down. So we got to camp right there, and uh, I helped out with the offensive line. Um, well, that didn't work out. I had to fly home, and uh, the guys at UMass, I was able to get a GA at UMass for some reason. I guess I could be a GA there, but not at Arizona State. Uh, you know, the rules were different uh, back then, I guess, because uh, we, UMass at the time was uh, was one double A, and of course Arizona State was one uh, A. Uh, while I was at UMass, the Boston Breakers moved to New Orleans, and our coach Corey uh, told me that uh, I, I, they couldn't take me. So uh, my mom was right the whole time. I, I should have just stayed in Boston with those guys. I, I, I think they probably would have taken me. But uh, anyway, uh, it, it, it was an unbelievable experience, and, and I, I can't uh, uh, say enough how, say enough high things about those guys. You know, Dale Lindsay's. Uh, Levy's at uh, San Diego, University of San Diego. He's still the head coach there. He, and um, just one more thing about the breakers. We had this uh, guy, uh, Marcus Merrick. And I don't know if you guys remember him. He was an unbelievable player at, at Ohio State. And uh, we also had uh, Tony Davis on our team, who, who was a big red guy. Yep, running back. Yeah, he was, he, he was, he was about 30 at the time. And uh, he, he, he treated me great. And uh, he... He would uh, take the guys out. Of course, he had money then. He was in the, I think he was in the NFL for a while. He'd take the guys out all the time. And anyway, so I um, uh, uh, got a chance to go to Northeastern. I, I met John Strollo. So at, at the time, I was a running backs coach at Northeastern in 90. We ran the wishbone. and Well, we started off with the, the flex bone. We got that from uh, Georgia Southern. And then uh, from there, I went to, I was lucky enough to go. Uh, back to UMass and uh, coach running backs there for about uh, five five or six years of coach running backs. And then uh, I coached on uh, defensive line in 96 and uh, 97. Uh, Ted Roof was a defensive coordinator one of those years. And uh, Jerry Azanaro was a, a defensive coordinator uh, the other year. And uh, so, you know, th those two guys are still going pretty strong. I think uh, Teddy's at Vanderbilt, a defensive coordinator, and Jerry's at uh, UCLA right now as a defensive coordinator. Uh, we ended up getting fired there, and I, I went to uh, Yale University as a tight ends coach the, the, the following year with uh, Jack Sidlecki, and uh, uh, he was, I was only a part-time guy there, and I, I couldn't handle you know, the money anymore. So I actually started out at UMass making $5,000, <laughs> And ended up at Yale making ten thousand dollars. Uh, <laughs> wow! You know, it, it, so um, I, I took some interviews. I, I actually had an interview at uh, this school called uh, New Haven University, and uh, thought I was really close. I was interviewing, interviewing, and uh, the guy, the coach there at the time, says to me, "You know, Jerry, I, I just don't know if I'm going to stay. Just got to let you know, I just don't know if I'm going to stay here." Any longer, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to go. So I've already been fired at Northeastern, already been fired at UMass, and um, you know, I just, my, I just, my wife and I just said, you know, that, that that was enough. We ended up moving to Cape Cod. Oh, by the way, the guy that interviewed me at uh, New Haven, Tony Sperano. 
Wow. Nice. Isn't that crazy? He, he, he was right. He only ended up staying there for a couple more years, and uh, he ended up going back in the NFL. And, you, you know, but he was, he was actually the first guy that told me about, uh, kind of introduced me to uh, hybrid. And we, we, we can talk about that. And uh, you want to talk about that now, or we can go, go back and talk about it later. Kind of interesting. What is that? Uh, you say hybrid? Yeah, hi, just hybrid defensive guys. You, you know, we were running the uh, Virginia Tech style. He was running the Virginia Tech style defense. He was taking the backside outside linebacker and sometimes putting him up on the hash. And, you know, did, you know that this was uh, in, what, 1998 he was doing that. The first I ever heard of a, a linebacker also playing up on a hash. It's kind of interesting, you know. And it, now we, we call those guys hybrid guys, you know. Mm-hmm. He, was doing, he was doing that stuff you know, 20 years ago. What made him? What made him kind of go into that? I mean, what was the the? Uh, I'm assuming you guys got to talk about it quite a bit. What was the the reasoning behind going to that? Because you you you, you could play two high and, and one high without really changing personnel, you know. And uh, he 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 would uh, play cover. You know, the, the, those G defensive guys didn't play cover two out of uh, uh, they, they only played two invert uh, out of the personnel that that they had. And he, he, would, he would be able to play quarters in the back. So he'd be able to play, uh, you know, quarter, quarter, half now with the guy up in the hash. And, you know, usually that guy was like an outside linebacker and wouldn't be able to go in the hash. So it, it, it was the first I heard of it at the time. Now, you know, people do it all the time. But back then, that, that was the first I ever heard of it. Was that something, did he call, did he call that a hybrid? Or is that just kind of now uh, what it's no, come to? No, he, he, that's kind of just now what he, he didn't call it anything. He just said, huh. This is what we do. I said, where the hell do you get those guys? He, goes, <laughs> he says, I, I, I get them from JC's, you know, and, and he, he bring these guys in and, and uh, he would do that. So, but he, he just said, that's what we do. He didn't call, it, it wasn't called hybrid or, or anything. It was just. That's just what our guy does. Yeah. And so that was pretty interesting. Anyway, so I, I moved to Cape Cod. My, my wife and I, uh, breakfast, would have been a breakfast. We do like Airbnb now. So I, I, I um, I coached high school football. You know, going from college to high school was a big, um, big shift for me, and uh, it, it really made me become a better coach and working with less talented players. So I, I was on Cape Cod for about five years, then moved down to uh, Virginia, and went to uh, uh, Potomac Falls High School, and then I started a football program at Woodgrove High School, and then we ended up moving to. Uh, Broad Run High School, and um, you know I had a it was really good football down there in, in that county. Number one, good, good coaches, and usually someone from our county uh, made, made it to the made it to the finals or, or won the states on, or went to the finals every year. So it it, it was uh, uh, very competitive, and the, the guys down there were uh, great. And then I, I got an opportunity to uh, move back to Cape Cod and. Uh, I got a job right out here at school. It's called Master High School. I'm at now. It's located right in the National Seashore. It's beautiful, and uh, the, the football's good. It's not quite as good as it is in Virginia, but you know that the kids still want to play, and and they love it, man. It's good, and and that, that that's my story. That's a long time. Well, that's, I was about to say, you, you've got um, an awesome story uh, with so many different ways we could go down. Uh, I'd like to kind of start, you know, talking about building or starting a program. I think we've had a handful of coaches on here that have kind of been through that same thing. 
take me through maybe thought process or, or how you go about deciding, hey, this is the job I want to take to start a program. And then what are some of the first few things that, that goes into or, or what's the most important thing that you decide to, to start with when you're starting a program? Well, where we were, the schools are, are growing incredibly. You know, I started out, they, 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 they must have built, I'm telling you guys, about seven high schools in, in our one county. And, uh, and to me, the hardest thing that I faced was I had to hire 10 coaches, man. And to, to, to get the right guys on board it w- was a lot, lot harder than what I thought. And, uh, and I, I was really, really surprised that, you know, how many coaches uh, didn't have good references. Because, you know, they'd give you a reference, I'd call them, and the references wouldn't call me back. <laughs> or you, so, well, you know, you you would you you would make an appointment, and uh, guys wouldn't show. Uh, you'd make an appointment, and guys would come to you and, and rip jeans. It's like you know, I'm not gonna do that. So, so we ended up. I ended up hiring a, a great staff. Eventually, uh, we were a little short-handed, not in, uh, meaning in numbers, not in quality. But I'd rather have uh, less guys than guys that, that didn't fit. But I'll tell you that the very first thing that we did was, uh, dude, the, the high school was brand new, so it wasn't even built. So we had to go to the high school where our kids were coming from and, had to use, and we were able to use their weight room. And I, I went to the middle school and was able to uh, do some stuff at the middle school. But, but instead of lifting four days a week, like most programs did, we only lifted three days a week. And, and once a week, I had a leadership meeting with, with those kids. I got uh, some Jeff Jansen stuff and I just rounded up a bunch of leadership stuff. And we just hopped on building a culture the, the very first day. And, and uh, with the coaches, uh, we had set meetings and I, I had agendas and we talked about vision. And uh, I had you know, made a mission statement, made a vision statement and, and talked about it with the coaches and we adjusted it some to, to fit us. And uh, we all did this together. So it, it, it became ours. And uh, one of the, Damien, our, our freshman coach, uh, and John Robick, our freshman coach were, were instrumental in what we were doing, especially with building the program. We wanted those guys to really have a, a great experience and, and, uh, we put those two coaches down there and, and, and it really, really helped. Uh, we had, you know, the first year we didn't have, we had, we didn't have any seniors in the juniors that came over to us were kids that weren't starters. So, you know, we won two games our first year and the next year we, we only won four, but we beat the team where our players came from. So it, it was crazy. It, it was, it was a huge, huge win for us. But, uh, um, so that, that's kind of, you know, just doing that, hiring great coaches and uh, having a leadership team, even before you even have a team, um, were, were key for what we were trying to do. Coach, so, so, I'm kind of curious. Sorry, Walls, but I, I'm kind of curious. When you hire, you got all these coaches to hire, you know, it even seems like a daunting task when you have a few coaches to hire, but at least you can bounce it off some of your other trusted coaches. But going into it just kind of all by yourself, what was the uh, what was the thought process? Were you trying to find a coordinator first and then and then let those guys sit in on interviews 
Uh, so you bring in the guys that they want, um, or were you just trying to find, you know, the best coaches you could find and then get help from those other guys? Or what was your thought process yeah. on, on how to knock that out with right. such, I mean, with 10 guys? Right. So, Roddy, the, the, uh, the first thing that I, I told each coach was that I'm just hiring the best coaches that, that I possibly can, and then we're going to decide the uh, – to, we're going to decide we, we're going to coach later. So I, I figured that I could either be the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. It, it didn't matter to me. I ended up hiring an offensive coordinator. So I, I did become a defensive coordinator. Uh, I actually ended up losing a guy because, you know, he couldn't decide whether he wanted to uh, come on board or not. So I said, okay, we'll just take your time. And he thought that he was going to become the uh, defensive coordinator. And I said, dude, I, I told you that we're going to hire the best guys. I already hired a guy. You couldn't make up your mind. I'm not going to sit around and wait for you. So we hired him, and he ended up quitting on us, which, you know, I was disappointed at the time. But, you know, in retrospect, it was probably a good thing because if he quit now, he probably would have quit later just as well, you know. Coach, I was going to ask you, you know, when you talk about hiring guys, you know, what what's kind of your philosophy, you know, to, to be able to find that balance you know, I find it so hard, you know, I don't have a, 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 you know, I just have a wife, so I don't have any kids, you know, how do you find that balance between guys, you know, you're talking about, you know, having some meetings and having some leadership things and, and making sure those guys are there. And at the same time, you know, guys have their, their kids, guys have their things they have to go to. How do you kind of, you know, balance those things? Do you make sure your coordinators or guys are going to be there, you know, all the time? Guys you can count on, or are you still like, you know what, hey, I, I get it. You, you have kids games and, and things that you got to do. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of mindset? Because to me, you know, I, I always go back and forth on it. You know, I know family is super important, but at the same time, you know, you have 90 to 100 kids who are also counting on you to kind of make sure things are taken care of. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm never going to tell a guy that, that he can't go with his family. Uh, I, I've, I've had good luck with that. I'm not – I'm going to hire the best people. And it's interesting. The best people – seem to find a way to, to work it out you know they're good to their wives they're good to the kids and um a guy has a commitment to make to his family he's going to go ahead and do that and as long as they have a, a couple of guys with me I, I never really felt like you need to have every single coach at every single weight room at, at every single leadership meeting and I, I just never believed that of course you want to have as many as can be there but if a coach is getting crap from his wife, I mean, he's not going to be, he's not going to be effective around the kids. And so the, I've always felt that way. I, I, uh, we did a lot of our meetings uh, through uh, uh, Zoom. I, I would have the coaches over my house and, and, and my wife would uh, make dinner on Sundays. Uh, I, I just try to make it a, a good environment. Sometimes we had uh, Coach Cowan, John Cowan, who was my offensive line coach, or our offensive line coach. He, he, sometimes his son came over and his daughter came over for dinner. and. And uh, we, we just found a way to make it work. And, and, it, and it's been like that uh, really with every place that, that I've been. It's just always the way we've done it, whether I've been at, at Potomac Falls High School and, and, or a broad one with uh, Coach Griffiths. And, and uh, he, he's a family guy. And, uh, you know, if you can't, if the guys couldn't be there, to me, I was going to put more on my back. And, you know, and, and, and to do the best you can. Coach, is that something then? So I've always thought the thing that would be tough about being a head coach or even a coordinator is, is uh, 
the specific my with offensive line. You know, if I would if I were ever to become a coordinator or head coach, and then I've got to step away from offensive line. Now I'm trusting some other guy, and I'm sure there's ways that I would do it that he doesn't do it. And uh, I have always thought that would be unbelievably hard uh, as a head coach or, or even as a coordinator. How have you done, or, or how has your thought process been? Because you've you've coached so many different positions. Um, how do you go about you know giving those guys you know their own uh, ability to coach that position, but still having your own thoughts on probably how that position should be coached? Well, I was the assistant offensive line coach, and, and, and I've been the assistant offensive line coach every place that I've been, and I, I, I would never leave that. So um, I, I don't have an answer other than that, than I was always there myself. When I first started, when, when I first started the program at uh, Woodgrove, I was the offensive line coach, and then and then uh, the second year, John, you know, John was with us, and then I just kind of gave him more and more responsibility. He'd probably tell you I didn't give him enough responsibility, but you know, we we, we did it together, and we, we'd break the line up. And but when the game was going, he, I mean, he was he was watching those guys. I, I kind of. I didn't watch those guys as much as I would, I would have liked to. And you just have to develop a trust and just doing all, all our stuff together. Uh, even as a defensive coordinator, number one, I love, I'm an offensive lineman and, and I uh, love coaching offensive line. But number two is I want to make sure that those guys are holding on to the football so we know the defense doesn't have to get out in the field. Coach, you talked about, too, you know, saying you, you would take over, you know, if you're the head coach, you take over one of the coordinator positions. Is that always kind of been one of your philosophies too? You know, if I can't find somebody that, you know, I feel like can get the job done, you know, I'm just going to end up kind of doing it myself. I mean, I always thought that was kind of a, a smart thing to do. You know, you see a lot of guys, you know, who, who, like I say, like Gus Malzahn, you know, he made his money as a great play caller and a great offensive coordinator. Well, then he becomes a head coach and everyone's like, all right, now you got to be the CEO. But to me, it's like, why would you take your quote best coach you know, out of that kind of decision-making mode. Has that always kind of been your philosophy too? Hey, if I'm going to be the head coach, I'm, I kind of want to be involved in one side or the other. Absolutely. It, it's been that way. You know, every place that I've been to, the, the head coaches, whether I've been a head coach or not the head coach, uh, one of the head, the head coach always was the coordinator on one side of the ball. And frankly, that's kind of how I became on, you know, plays, you know, been a defensive coordinator so much is, is that generally the place that I've been, the head coach has been the offensive coordinator and, and he wanted someone to coordinate. They wanted someone to coordinate the defense. And I, I just thought that was a, a really good idea. You know, um, I suppose if I could hire uh, guys, I guess I would consider it, but to me, I'm always going to have my hand on, uh, on one side of the ball pretty much into it. And the other thing that as a head coach, I believe the head coach, needs to be involved in running scout teams as well. And I think that makes for a much better football team too. Coach, what's your thought process on, on um, and I'm not sure how big you guys are, if it's an option, but what is your kind of thought process behind uh, two platoon or, you know, playing your best guys both ways? What is, uh, what is maybe your, your hope for every year and, and what kind of has been your, your past few years? What have you guys, uh, you know, kind of fallen into? Um, I would assume everyone would love to go, full, uh, you know, full two platoon and sure. have an offense and a defense. But um, I think it's always interesting because there's some guys that will just make it work. doesn't matter. I know we're going to have lesser kids, but uh, I believe that my good kids are fresh and on one side of the ball that we're better. And then there's some coaches that 
um, are, are opposite of that, and they want their best players out on the field as, as much as possible. Where do you fall uh, on that spectrum? Well, I feel like that, you know, in respect to offensive and defensive line anyway, is that I want our offensive line to sub really much with those guys. You know, that being said, so if we can get, you know, seven or eight guys, so we, we have the five offensive linemen and maybe two defensive linemen, and then we, you take some of the better offensive linemen. And what we call, we have, what we do uh, is have planned substitutions. So we'll go in before every game and say, hey, look at, you know, every four plays uh, on defense, you're going to switch out. Or every other series, we're going to do this. Or, you know, you're going to start the uh, drive at defensive, uh, at defensive tackle, and then so-and-so, the starting right guard is going to come in and, and play a few plays. That's the way we've always done it. Of course, you'd like to have as many people playing as possible, but you know, and, and be fully two platoon. But we feel like, you know, offensive, offensive and defensive line wise, if we can get, you know, eight eight different guys playing, that that that's pretty good. Also makes practice better for everybody else. Uh, same thing with linebackers and you know DBs. We will have planned rotations there, but with, with DBs. At least where I've been, we've had more, except for quarterback, of course, we've always had more, you know, the better defensive backs playing. And then um, we, they, they would swap over at wide receiver. First, and we, we leave kind of the secondary alone, especially at the safeties, since we're a split safety team. Is that something that you'll, that you'll change your, your defensive fronts or your um, defensive scheme, depending on what kind of kids or, or how to keep kids off of being two platoon, you know, go to a three-man front uh, so you don't have to have as many linemen or, um, you know, you, you're kind of going to play what you guys do and, and make that work with the kids that you have? Well, we, interestingly, we play both a three-man and a four-man front. So it, it just really just depends on, on the type of kids uh, that we have. Excuse me. Um, I've been able, for the course of all these years, to play on the same front. Just being able to figure it out, find you know, finding the uh, strengths that each kid has, and, and and working towards that. You know, I, I forgot to I mention to you that I, you know, in a 2013, I, I was the uh, I worked with. It, uh, with recruiting at Boston College, and I got to work with uh, Don Brown and, and got to watch him operate and, and how he was able to really, really do a, a great job of taking these kids, finding their talents, and being able to, to just sub them, sub them on, on different downs. And uh, it, it was really eye-opening how, how good he was at doing that. And and uh, you know, that's you know everyone talks about how you know great schematically he is, but I really thought that uh, he was he was able to get the most out of all his players. I, I thought that was his uh, biggest strength. Coach, can you talk a little bit about, you know, your, your defensive philosophy? Uh, you know, I, I follow you on Twitter. I, I find, you know, a lot, a lot of your conversations super interesting just because I think, you know, you have, you know, very to the point insight about, you know, to me how, how defense really should be run. And, you know, and I, and I you know, couldn't tell you, obviously, you know, where you learned that, but I, I'd just like to kind of hear, you know, what is your defensive philosophy? And, and how you go about kind of, you know, maybe installing some of the, you know, the key features of your, your base defense. Okay, well, well it's, it, it, great. It's, it, it's interesting, kind of going back to what Roddy was saying, is that, I, you know, and, and you're going to laugh, and, and it sounds kind of corny, but <laughs> we're going to 
I won't, we, it, it's not so much a defensive philosophy as it is a team philosophy. And it, it, to me, it all starts, and I know it's run the power uh, podcast, but if we're sitting on the bench, uh, Brady, that's the best defense in the world, man. <laughs> you can't get scored on. So, <laughs> right. right. So, and, and I really believe that. And, and we just have to, we just have to score more points than the defense lets up. And we're going to find a way to do that. Now, I'm going to, I'm, as a, being a selfish bastard, I'm going to make sure our offensive line and our running game is strong. And we're, we're going to hold on to that football and, you know, and, and we're going to stop the run on defense. And, um, I believe, uh, especially nowadays, that you have to be multiple, but 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 keep it simple. And so we play a, a hybrid, you know, a, a four down, but, but we'll play uh, that uh, defensive end to the boundary. We'll, we'll stand them up sometimes and give three, four looks. And uh, we use as, as many, we just use as many uh, simple techniques as possible and, and just try to use simplified teaching. Is it all perfect? Well, no, but, you know, we're not also in the NFL either. We're high school football coaches uh, trying to just be better than a, a, a 16-year-old kid that, that's on the field. And, you know, sometimes I feel like with all the conversation, I guess, going on, that we give those kids on the other side of the ball too much credit. And, you know, these co- and, you know the coordinators over there are smart, but they're not also throwing the, the football either. So. It, it, it's really that simple. We, we want to, you know, and I was just talking about this on Twitter today is, is uh, to me, we, we want to uh, create relationship with these kids, uh, have a simple scheme, uh, have stamina, run to the football like crazy and teach good fundamentals and techniques and get lined up properly every single time. You, you'll see more teams, most close games, Brady, in my opinion, are lost as opposed to one. And, and you know, we, we're just trying to make the other team make a mistake and, and capitalize upon that. And, you know, the other team, you know, they're going to get some first downs, you know. And would I like to shut the team out every every game? Yeah, but, you know, shutouts are few and far between for us. So keeping it simple and get lined up correctly, run over the football, and uh, don't make mistakes. I love that, you know, uh, and I've heard some really great coaches say it, and and probably I don't believe it any more than I do this year after really doing some thinking and some searching. But uh, you know, more games are if it's evenly matched teams, more games are lost than they are won. Um, obviously, a, a game is won very easily when you got a lot better players, um, and so you, you almost have to take some of those out when you're playing some of those teams that are, are way worse, um, and then. If you got a team that's way better than you, again, you could probably be perfect, and and it really doesn't matter unless they have a horrible game and they lose it. But a lot of those games that are very evenly matched comes down to, um, you know, how many mistakes or, or you actually losing that game as opposed to the other team winning it. Absolutely, absolutely. And so it kind of, you know, it's it's a fine line because you you want to have answers as a coach, you know, for what that defense comes out, you know, on the offensive side what the defense comes out in or, or do they have a, a different look that they're giving you this week? So you want to have those answers built in. But you don't want to have so many things built in that you're beating yourself or you don't have time for the fundamentals of not jumping off, you know, no false starts and uh, fumbling the ball or throwing the ball to the other team. Um, and so it's a, it's a balancing act. And I think it's, 
it gets even tougher when you have those big games. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. You know, you see guys changing all the time. We've been, I've been using the same um, terminology basically for almost 20 years now and, and doing the same things. Of course, yeah, we add a little bit and subtract a little bit. But one of the, one of the things that I preach all the time is just knowing how to fix things. Okay, so they got us call. Hey, that's why they give you timeouts. Call timeout. I'll bring my whiteboard right on the field, and, and, and we'll have a we'll have a chalk talk right on the field, and, and get get the guys lined up, and, and now now we're ready to go. And you know that's what I think one of my hopefully greatest strengths is is that I'm able to see what's going on, and be able to fix within the the constraints of, of what we've installed. We have an answer ready, and and sometimes I'll I'll tell the kids, hey, look, guys, if this happens, we'll take care of it on game day, but we're not going to give, we're not going to chase ghosts during the week. And, you know, by running the same defense that, that I've had for all these years, I, I know what a lot of the answers are already, but before I even see them. Coach, <clears throat> I know, know a lot of the uh, stuff you see out there and you and I, we, we see it, a lot of it's coverage based. So my question for you is, um, since we're run the power and you're a defensive guy, what's the best way to stop the power? <laughs> <laughs> Under front. <laughs> you know, to me, I'm going to be in a, an underfront defense. I'm going to give you a, a five and a nine to the tight end. I'm going to give you a three and a five to the split end. And you can run power uh, one way or the other. And you're going to have to uh, block down a double. And we're going to have a guy right next to him. Then, uh, once our safety reads that, he's going to come flying down. Both my linebackers are going to be over the top, and I'm going to have a backside safety for any sort of cutback that you're going to have. I'm going to do that both ways. So I'm always going to try to be plus one out of you. You trying to bounce the thing too, or are you trying – I mean, how do you guys try to play it? You want the thing to get bounced, and then your safeties are going to go tackle it, or are you a guy that's trying to box it to, you know, to your, your backside linebacker trying to get over the top of the double team? Well, generally – I've actually seen you guys play. So uh, I, I, against you guys, well, against Broken Arrow, I should say. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say you guys. Against Broken Arrow, I, I've watched some Broken Arrow film. If you ran to the tight end, we, we would box it and fill inside. If you ran, uh, ran it to the split inside, we, we, we would spill that guy and be over the top with it. Those, 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 those are just our, our standard rules. Now, some teams, we, when we first started doing this uh, back in, 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 the, in the late 90s, we, we would actually spill that uh, tight end side linebacker sometimes, but, but what teams would do then is they would uh, come at us real hard and then veer off and, and then send the guy in the flat and we wouldn't have anybody for him, you know, and, and, and that was always tough. Coach, do you, do you think – so here's my, here's my big argument always um, mm -hmm. is everyone that runs power, you know, obviously uh, they're going to have to run power pass, just kind of like you said. Um, yeah. There's – I don't know the percentage, but we'll say there's half of the, the football coaches in America that want to pull the guard because they say you get a better, um, a, a better look for the defense. And then there's my half that says, let's keep everybody, slide everyone opposite direction, just give them low hats, and they're still getting the same basic look just without a pulling guard. Uh, and that pulling guard's not going to bring the linebacker over to where we're throwing it. Where do you fall uh, maybe as an offensive line coach, where do you fall as a defensive coach as as to uh, what you would hate to see? Uh, is Does that pulling guard give you guys that much 
more problems as a fake or um, are when you see low hats and, and a, a handoff look, you guys are downhill anyways. We're downhill anyway. So you, you got two backs, you got two backs running right at us mm-hmm. and you're firing off the football. Both my linebackers is going to be flying and the safety probably too. So, and uh, especially if it's third and three or third and two, the, the, the guy's not going to matter. He's, he's, they're going to fly. Because it, it could just as well be ISO, and, and we'd attack it almost the same way. Yeah, that's see that. I mean, that's kind of my. That's always my argument is you're you're trying to get those those linebackers uh, to fit down. That's who, at least in my opinion, who we're trying to beat. Um, and so any low hat is going to get them to sink in. Uh, and then by not pulling the guy, um, I'm just I'm just I've got better protection on the backside. Can help my backside tackle. Uh, the only thing that would worry me a little bit is now that front side, if you guys are playing an under front, um, you know, how do I take care of that five and that nine? So, uh, right, that, exactly. you know, uh, that, that would be my only worry probably to that. Right. And, and then the next question I would ask you is, is it, are you really coming off the ball? If you slide, like we can tell the difference between slide protection and, or, or you know what I mean? Are you really right, coming yeah. off the football? So. You know, it, it all depends on, on the technique that, that, that the guys are doing, you know. Coach, when you guys uh, face a team, so when, when we run, you know, strong side power a lot of times versus the under front, you know, we'll, we'll base the tight end on the nine, and then yeah. we're going to try to kick out the five. Is, it, is there some drills and things that you guys do? You know, we'll, we'll take the guard, uh, the, you know, the tackle and the, and the guard down with the, the deuce block and then base the nine and kick the five. Is there some things that you do maybe with that five because we found, honestly, that, that, that it becomes a lot easier for us to keep the ball in A-gap rather than trying to, to double and, and bring the tight end down, especially because most of your guys' five techniques, they, they kill our tight end. So we've made it a little bit easier on him and given the fullback a little bit angle. Is there, is there some things you kind of do to, to help the five technique out then? Oh, yeah. We practice that every day because that would be the same as us getting the, uh, the power week. So we're going to spill that guy as hard as we can. And and maybe even cut that fullback and, and uh, just just stick our face in that in that a gap or in the b gap and then get our linebackers over the top. So that's the way we would play that. So I it, think it, 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 I I think that those guys, you know, again that all that, that always sounds good. And then there's half the defenses that their defensive ends do it, and half of them that halfway through the 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 game don't. And I right. think that that really shows. Um, very much how much that that defense cares or thinks of their defensive coordinator. I, I mean, if 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 that coordinator has done a great job, uh, we'll kill defensive ends because they're you know they're crashing in there. But they do their job the entire four quarters, uh, and they're they're trusting their defensive coordinator, and they know it's going to suck, but they know it's it's for the better of the whole defense, and they'll do it all four quarters. And and that's kind of when I think, oh man. Uh, these kids really love that defense coordinator. They've really bought in, um, and and they just keep almost say sacrificing their body um, because they'll just keep doing it and, and trust that it works. Uh, and then uh, on the flip side of that, you see the other kids that maybe don't, or or you know, I'm an offensive guy, so who who really knows? But I I think maybe don't trust in that coach or or don't believe in in it fully. And by the second third quarter, they're they're taking a little bit easier way, and and that's where we start hitting it. Well, well, then, right. So then, whoever gets a chalk glass. So we're not going to just play it that that one way. So 
if we know that that you're going to be running anything to the three-man side, we'll we'll slant the line some that way. We'll uh, we'll uh, blitz the line back on the B gap, just 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 so you're not getting the same look every time. So the kid's not doing the same to to make us less predictable. That makes sense. No, exactly. And I wasn't trying to one up you by any means. I was just saying it, no, no. it's it's really impressive to see those guys that it does work. Uh, and then there's some defense coordinators that can get their guys to do it for four quarters. And there's some that, that uh, their kids don't do that for them for right. four quarters. And it's really impressive to see, you know, those defenses that, that can get that done. And those kids do truly sell out to that program. And, and like you said, it probably is a, um, it, it's a whole culture behind that. Right. Well, and the other thing is if, if the point I guess I keep trying to make is that if the kid won't, you need to know a different way to fix it. Coach, you see, I mean, to me, that's always the other thing, too. <clears throat> you run into to so many teams that, you know, if they do run power, they, it seems like all they do is run it strong. I mean, I, I, I mean, a lot of the, the coaches that come to me and it's like, well, you know, how do you protect my power play and things like that? I'm like, the, to me, the best play in football is the weak side power, you know, especially if you're running out of, out of slot and things like that, you know, try to, to remove some of those guys or maybe get, you know, some of the safeties one high these days. I mean, I do you see a lot of teams that run many of the weak side runs, you know, in, in your career too, as, as maybe an offensive line coach, you know, have you kind of noticed that maybe weak side runs tend to be some of your, you know, bigger hitting plays and, and more efficient runs as well? Well, um, not necessarily, but um, most teams that we face, if they have a counter, I mean, if they run power, they'll, they'll run counter and, and they'll run a power pass or they'll, they'll run like a waggle off it or something like that. And, and, and that's usually enough to uh, keep us pretty honest. I have a question for you though, if you, if you, for you guys, if you don't mind, do yeah. you call do you call power to the three man side? Is it a different play to the two man side? Do you use different terminology? Yes. Yes. Okay. And we do that for um, that three four look really, and, and so it, it's it's if you've got a tight end or a fullback, but not both, we call that a weak power. Mm -hmm. And then if we're going to a tight end and a fullback. Uh, so kind of that four-man surface, we sure. call that strong power. Um, and, and it's really built in purely for um, that 3-4 defense or that tight defense. Sure. Right. And that, that's kind of the argument that, that I have a lot. Lots of times, all the offensive line coaches I know want to call it two different things, but the offensive coordinators don't. <laughs> that, I've had that <laughs> argument a bunch of times. They'd like for the offensive linemen to have eyes in the back of their head and, and know every formation and every personnel, but I tell them, if you want us to get it done right, it's easy for you to call a different play and, and them just to know that it's a slightly different rule than for them to just understand everything that is football. You got it. That's right. <laughs> we we uh, at Tulsa with, with Denver, uh, Denver Johnson, you know, longtime O-line coach, we had three powers. So, I mean, he, he even called it a little bit different, you know, like so the one when, when I was talking about basing the nine and kicking the five, that was a little bit different name too, just for the simple fact, again, that it, it was going to be fullback and tight end on the same side. And then, you know, still had your regular, you know, weak surface power. And then obviously the other one, he he just called it straight up power. We call it, quote, power everybody's blocking down. And that was what, you know, he'd use in, in goal line short yardage situations. So there really wasn't any calls. It was just automatic, you know, inside gap. So mm -hmm. that, that was the, kind of the first, you know, I'd, I mean, obviously I'd run it a couple of different ways, but for me, it, it really helped working with him and learning from him, just being able to differentiate between all those things. We had so many, so many fewer mental bus, you know, up front. And I'm like, yeah. this makes way more sense, you know, and 
and it, again, it helped out the center knowing, you know, if it's, if it's weak side power, okay, cool. Versus the odd front, you know, I, I'm gonna have to block back to the, to the backside linebacker. Well, I pick up an extra helper with the tight end. Now I can, you know, chip and block all the way back on that four eye. We, we took so many less, you know, hits in the face and, and negative plays when, when he understood the difference between those two, it was, I'm like, yep, I'm sold. Makes sense to me. Absolutely. We've even gotten into this this year, Coach, getting into kind of a, a another version at Broken Arrow uh, when we go uh, tight end on weak power. So, you know, a tight end but no fullback uh, because of the teams that like to go from over to under. You know, you get that under front and you're trying to run one back power. Um, it gets impossible to pick up everyone you need to pick up. Either right. you're going to be, you know, letting letting that backside line – normally you're going to be letting that backside linebacker go um, and, and, you know, you, maybe you can throw off of them, but right now we'd like to get everyone blocked up front. And so uh, we've gotten into running. It's like a, uh, power or a dart, uh, for our, for our guys up front. And so if we get that under look, uh, we'll, we'll change it at the line, not really even tell the quarterback or, or tailback, but change it at the line and, and now run it like dart or double in the shade mm-hmm. and blocking mm-hmm. back on the three and, you know, knowing for that backside in, but I'd rather him try to get us than, than, uh, you know, a backside linebacker that's going to have a free shot. Well, as long as a running back knows not to cut it back. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, as long as he follows that tackle, he, he should be all right. Coach, how has is, how is the RPO, you know, changed? You've been running the, the same, you know, terminology for your system for 20 years. How has the RPO maybe changed a little bit of, you know, your, your linebacker reads or, you know, your hybrid reads or your safety reads, any of those guys that are obviously being put in conflict you know, what, what impact has that kind of made on, you know, maybe the way you coach those positions? Um, they, have, we, they just have to be a little, a little bit smarter. You know, we, we run uh, more coverages now, I guess. Um, we're uh, more, uh, you know, we, we run a, a, a ton of two-read. And mm-hmm. our base is we're going to be plus one or even numbers in, in that box. And I know a lot of guys, you know, talk about a, a six-man box against seven guys. To me, that's a losing formula. And I, I've never really believed in it. Uh, um, so we're going to apex and, and keep those guys out there. But how, how you know, you, you take a look at it, the, only, the quarterbacks are only going to be 60% complete. Right, and you to me, you, you, you take a couple of first downs, but you know we're gonna we're gonna stop that run for us. So you know we, we basically man up those outside guys. We, we call it to read, but it, it's really just man. So that's kind of the way we handle that. And I suppose you, I mean that's been the thing for me too. Is you know really you see a lot of the the good DB coaches. You know, giving up, giving up the slant, but really teaching them how to, you know, play underneath that, that upfield arm, you know, and breaking the ball up, you know, and, and, you know, you tip a couple of them, things like that. I think now, you know, you, you create a couple of those negative plays or, you know, you, you rip a couple of, of footballs out of there on RPOs. I think, you know, naturally any offensive coordinator probably calls a lot fewer of those plays too. Yeah, you know, and, and I got to tell you, around where we are here in, in the Northeast, we're not seeing – a whole heck of a lot of that you, you know the teams that we have to beat in, in our conference right now are we have a, this team that the school is twice the size of us and, and they're bigger than us and, and they're they're a wing t team mm-hmm. and then the other school that they're about the same size as us but they have a lot more kids is is, is a uh, a flex bone team 
and, and we have another team that has a, a good wide receiver, but we got to get, to me, you design your defense to win the, your, your district title and, and then take it from there. And the, the, the teams, at least I see, that, that are really RPO or really zone read type teams, they're not, they're not very good around here, at least the teams that, 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 that I've seen. And, you know, we had this one team that was a, a big uh, uh, wing T team, and, and they won some state titles, or they, they call them Super Bowls here, and they ended up being, getting into two-point stances and running this RPO stuff. And with, with our team here, you know, we ended up beating them, and, and it, everyone thought it was a miracle, but it, it wasn't. Those guys were in two-point stances, and the offensive line coach there didn't know how to coach it. And we, we just we were just coming off the ball and, and just beating them up. It's unbelievable. Coach, so that's a, that's a really good question I wanted to ask you about, and, and you kind of set it up on a tee. But when, when the teams that you need to beat are um, some teams, even if they're not the teams that need, you need to beat, but especially then, but if they're the teams that are kind of the outliers, you know, you see you know, however many games you guys play in the season, you know, whatever it is, you know, nine or ten, uh, and most of them are, are some type of a um, pro-style offense, but then there's two teams that um, are a wing tee or a flex bone. How much during your season are you, are you talking about that or working on that um, leading up to those games? Like before the week of that game, how much time are you putting in with your kids um, throughout the season preparing for that? Well, huh. I guess the way you could see, like we're we're preparing to uh, once we get into uh, preseason, we're always going to be wishbone ready. To me, if if your defense isn't wishbone ready, it, it, it's it's it, it's not complete. So we're going to be wishbone ready, and then that's always that's always number one. Then uh, we'll we'll do some wing tee stuff in camp, but when uh, the last couple of days we're going to do a little bit more zone read stuff because that's our big Thanksgiving rival. And we might just go over a, a different type of coverage uh, that we're going to be putting in for those guys. But, but that's really about it. I mean, I don't really believe in looking ahead. Um, I've never really felt like that the teams, the teams that I've coached on had the luxury of just trying to beat the next team that's in front of you. So I, I've never really done much more than that. And all the calls that we have have all been related. And, and uh, I'm not pulling stuff out of my hat for the last game or, or, or for that big team. I, I, every time I've, I've, I've tried that, it, it worked. Sometimes it didn't work, but it was never consistent. We, when I was down in Virginia, we had to play this uh, team called Stonebridge. And they're a big, very good single wing team. And uh, but they would line up in single wing, and then the, and then the next play come out in five wide, with the same personnel, and uh, and we we were inventing stuff for them, and we'd lose, and, and then finally, just got the bright idea of not changing, and we ended up you know sometimes we won and sometimes we lost, but we did a lot lot better against them, by by just adjusting what we were already doing. Geez, it, it kind of sounds like like a nightmare, coach. I mean, having to yeah. having to. To make that adjustment in the game from from one play to the next. Yeah, it was a nightmare. 
but the guy was a good coach, and, and uh, if, if you wanted to make it to the States, you had to, you, you had to beat that team. So, Coach, as a defensive coordinator, and, and is there a certain scheme of run zone or gap or, you know, option, uh, trap? Is there a certain scheme that you see, okay, we're going up against this week and you know, man, this is going to be a, a rough – or this is going to be a tougher week for us uh, with this scheme? Or is it mostly just the players that, the, that those teams are giving it to? Roddy, I, I didn't hear the question. You blanked out a little bit. Could you repeat that? I got you. Is there is there a scheme that kind of gives you get gives you as a defense coordinator fits you know gap or zone or or trap or option when you guys know you have that or is is the bigger thing who they're handing the ball to? Well, who they handing the ball to is always a big thing. But I, I, I'll tell you, uh, guys, is that any team that runs a complete offense is tough, meaning that. We see these wing T teams, but but they don't run the whole scheme. We see you know these I teams, but they don't run the whole scheme. So the first thing we got to do is to stop the top three plays, and then a lot of these they, they don't have constraints of they don't have complements to what they're doing. Uh, they, they'll run power, but not power pass. They'll run power, but not really counter the other way. Or they'll run power one way, but not the other way. Or uh, they'll be a zone read team, but but won't. Uh, but, but, not, but not effective in hitting a glance. Patience, and they have complementary plays of, of, of the teams that give me fits. Well, Coach, we're running up, uh, running up on an hour now, um, and, and so I'm really interested in your answer to this, being a defense and an offensive line guy. Um, but when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Well, the first thing I look at is, are those guys all on a straight line? I just love seeing when those guys are back and forth and not lined up straight. I like them seeing all in the same stance, all consistent stances. But the other thing is that what really impresses me about an offensive line coach is if I, if I have a really, really hard time finding a tip because I'm constantly looking at those guys trying to get any tip that I can. This guy's pulling. This guy's going one way. Uh, they, they tighten their splits to run uh, outside zone. They widen their splits to run. I, so if I can't pick up any tips, I'm, I'm feeling impressed. Coach, man, it's been a blast having you on. And uh, any, uh, any things you got going on this, uh, this offseason, any clinics or uh, places you're going or any schools you kind of want to go check out? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, going to, I'm, I'm actually uh, speaking in a, in a couple of weeks at the Nike Connecticut Clinic and uh, – I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, down in uh, Newport Clinic, they, they have a really good clinic down there. It's called the Big New England Football Clinic. Uh, they have uh, a couple of Michigan guys. Uh, they're always very good there. Um, Josh McDaniels is going to be there. But I'll tell you the, the thing about this Big New England Football Clinic, if any guys from the East are listening to this, they have a uh, technique area. So they, they, in, in the, they get like the main band. They, in the lobby, excuse me, in the lobby, they, they have coaches uh, doing techniques. So last year, we got to see Chris Partridge uh, do a whole hour of, of technique work. We got to see Don Brown do a whole hour of technique work. We got to see uh, Jim Reed, who, who was a defensive coordinator at BC, uh, do a lot of technique work. And, and boy, that was great. It, it really was good. They, they had, um, they, brought, they brought some high school kids up there and were able to do some work with them and take us through drills. It was, it was very good.
And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.